for Wednesday, May 23rd, 2012. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere. On this week's show, we discuss audio tech support in Firefox, the allure of NoSQL key value store Redis, the emotional impact of SMS versus the mobile web, and we're joined by a very special guest, my blue Kenmore Intuition vacuum cleaner. So sit tight, the Niche Podcast is next. Hello? Hello. Oh, you sound good, even though you sound tired. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I, I feel tired, so... <laughs> Just couldn't sleep? Yeah, I've, I've got to do something about the sleeping thing. It's, it's not working at all. <laughs> Uh, well, it does have a way of solving itself sometimes. Yeah. Eventually can't take it anymore. Yeah, my problem is it, you know, we have that meeting this afternoon, so it, it needs to it needs to not solve itself then. <laughs> right. I may have to take a nap before, before 4 o'clock. Yeah. So, yeah, exciting. You've got uh, a new mic, so it'll be funny to go back and listen to... Uh, previous versions compared to this one because this one sounds a lot more yes thank you very much my pleasure (laughs) our our listener will appreciate it i'm sure right yeah it's the same one i have so we should sound exactly the same oh i cool i didn't know i have the microphone that now makes me sound like jonathan stark (laughs) sorry about people listen to the podcast like it's just one person talking talking to himself what's going on here (laughs) exactly so I am working on my first coffee of the day. Oh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't even gotten that far yet, which is sad because I really need it. Are you crazy? <laughs> I don't know. I just I haven't, haven't motivated myself yet to make coffee. Mm. Well, hopefully you make it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. <laughs> I've got like a, a diet coke here, and that's not enough caffeine. Wow. It'll get you started. So should we kick off with a bug report? Sure. We can kick off with a bug report. Do you have anything? Uh, I think I do. I think it qualifies as a, I don't know if it's a bug really, but it's something uh, I fixed. Does that count? (laughs) Good enough for me. (laughs) Okay. Um, Remember, I think it was last week we were talking about uh, adding the audio tag, native HTML5 audio tag to the the individual podcast post pages on Niche. Yes, and we had decided that it was a MIME type that Firefox did not support. Yep. So it turned out that that was true. Well, it we were thinking like, oh, MP3 supported everywhere. So I downloaded, you know, like four hours of podcasts and converted them to uh, from M4A to MP3 and loaded them back up and they worked this pretty much the same everywhere i think there were a couple of a couple of android devices that wouldn't play the m4as uh, but the mp3s it would and but it still wouldn't work in firefox (laughs) so i did a little bit of actual googling i googled until my googlers were sore (laughs) and the uh and one of us was on to the right track last week with the Og Theora. Um, it has to be Og files. Oh. 
so I've got a little bit of a new workflow where after the, re the podcast is done and just export as MP3 and as AUG, I'm not going to do M4A anymore. I couldn't see the, I couldn't detect an audio difference in MP3s got to be supported more broadly than M4A. So, so it's uh so audio tag the audio tag unlike um it's the audio, audio to html5 audio tag is super simple it's a lot like the image tag in that you just uh you know specify source so src equals whatever and you point uh, a uri to the audio file but mm -hmm. if you but it's cool because you can support multiple sources and let the browser uh, pick the one that it has a codec to uh, decode. So in this case, uh, so the difference between the audio tag and the image tag is that you can, is that it, it's not self-closing. It has a, cl a official closed tag and you can put multiple source tags inside of that, like S-O-U-R-C-E source tag. So it's like mm -hmm. source space src equals whatever so those point to you do them in order that you want them to work so first i point at the mp3 and if the browser can support that it'll create a little native streaming uh, player right there mm -hmm. with or without controls depending on what you put in the markup uh, and then it'll go to the next one if it can't do mp3s in this case and the next one is aug and so far i haven't found anything that didn't play one or the other of those uh, so that's cool. And then after that, you can even add some text or or maybe another. You can add more HTML for browsers that support none of the above, uh, which is cool. It's kind of like uh, JavaScript no script tag. Yeah. And initially I had put the download links inside there, but then I, I took it out because I was like, well, you know, some people might just want to download it even if their browser would play it. So, right. Uh, so I left that outside of it, but it's pretty, it's pretty great. I have to say. If only video were that easy. Uh, I, th video, well, video works the same way, but I think the support is less, um, yeah. less straightforward. So you have to put more, you have to encode it in more different ways and put, you know, so you just have to create more files. Yeah. And this, and I'm not, I don't know off the top of my head how good the support for the video tag actually is. But the spec for it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I feel like you're gonna have it in oh, probably Firefox, Chrome, what have you. I I don't even know. I feel like IE support is probably not good. <laughs> that is generally yeah. the, the feeling. <laughs> That's gonna be given, right? So I I mean IE ten is looking pretty cool. Let me yeah. Let me see here. Only I I didn't test on. Uh, my Windows, I have, I actually have an XP machine, a desktop machine in the corner, uh, and I went to test on that, but I couldn't get it to connect to my wireless, and I, and I didn't have an Ethernet cable long enough to actually go to where I wanted it to go. But according to um, CanIuse.com, IE9 does support the audio tag, uh, as does everything across the board except for Opera Mini. Ah. So uh, that was. Uh, actually, I'm looking at this Can I Use chart, and it does correspond exactly to my experience where um, I did have some problems with older Android. Uh, it says it says on CanIUse.com that the Android browser supports uh, Android 2.3 native browser supports uh, um, the audio tag, but that was not my experience. I, mm. test, I tested it on 
Safari, Chrome, Firefox, Opera, and IE. Or I didn't do IE. Uh, Opera on the desktop. And Mobile Safari on iOS, Chrome Mobile Beta, and the native web browser on Android 4, Ice Cream Sandwich. And the native browser on BlackBerry Playbook even use, supported the audio tag. So it, it worked in all those places perfectly. And on the Kindle Fire and native web browser on Android 2.3, you could... Uh, it didn't get the audio player, but you could download it, and both of those platforms will play an MP3, no problem. So, oh, okay, that that works. Yeah, so it wouldn't stream. Good enough, then. Right, it wouldn't stream, but it would download. So that is fixed. Um, I... Yeah, I actually used it last night. I was listening to the last episode a bit, so yeah, I can right. I can verify that it was indeed working in Firefox. <laughs> cool. The only the only uh, thing about it that rubs me a little bit the wrong way, and this is not this is not the audio tag's fault, uh, is that the blog is Markdown, and there's and it it kind of grinds my gears to have HTML tags in the file. Yeah, I have to insert that chunk of HTML. Right. We're gonna we could we could always modify the Markdown part to include. Yeah, make up something for audio, I guess. Right. Yeah, that was kind of my that was kind of my first impulse, but uh, didn't. You know, I, it was kind of like, does it really make sense in a Markdown file to have an audio? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's because they're supposed to. You know, Markdown's supposed to be like human readable, but it supports images, and yeah. you know, I guess it would be fun to do that. Extend markup a little bit. Come up with a little Markdown style tag, kind of like image, but with. Uh, a different different prefix like an at symbol or something yeah something like that something that seems audio-ish yeah <laughs> i don't know it kind of looks like a speaker you could you could you could make the argument <laughs> yeah yeah i like it that, yeah that totally works <laughs> see i can justify just about anything that's great yeah well that comes with being a parent right yeah so perfect so what else um uh, I had the I had some bugs this week. Oh, good. With the copy to clipboard stuff on Avalio. Ugh. Yeah. What's the so? If you can describe what it's supposed to do, and then what you had to wrestle with. Okay. Yeah, we've changed. Uh, we've added a, a feature to your when you when you go into Avalio, and you search for domain names, and you you star them and add them to your to your list of favorites. What have you? We have. You can now go to the starred items tab and copy the contents of that list to your clipboard. Cool. So take it out and paste it in text documents or what have you. It's it's very nice. But getting it getting it to do that was way more difficult than it should be. Mm. And it's funny because the only browser that this is actually easy to do in is Internet Explorer. <laughs> <laughs> So everything else, you you have to use a Flash object, which I'm, I'm sure you've done copy the clipboard in the past, where you have to load up a Flash object and you use that to access the clipboard because browser access to the clipboard is restricted for security reasons. But in as of Flash 10, they made this a lot harder to do because they've, they've removed some some of the more straightforward functionality for doing this. So first of all, finding something that would be compatible uh, in Flash or with, with newer Flash newer versions of Flash Player mm -hmm. was 
a little bit tricky and I found the script called Zero Clipboard and the accompanying flash file for it. And the implementation is, it's not difficult, but it's not the most straightforward either. And I got that up and running you know, locally, testing some things, and then uh, moving it into Avalio, we ran into all kinds of problems where that, that list is dynamic. So, and whenever you attach the flash object, you set your clipboard data then and you can't really change it. So as you as you make updates and changes to your, your list of start items, the the clipboard contents when you click when you click the the button to copy the clipboard it was grabbing the old content and even even explicitly explicitly telling it to to, to refresh refresh the clipboard it it wasn't doing it so wow yeah it was a it was a pain <laughs> yeah so I ended up having to go in and basically what it does now you load up the start tab it creates the clipboard object you you click the copy button it copies the contents then it removes the clipboard object and recreates it and basically every time you perform an action that's going to affect items in the start list whether you're adding one or deleting one or well i guess yeah that's all you can do is add and delete but every time and every time it's generated i have to go in and remove the existing clipboard object and then recreate it and reattach all of the bindings to the buttons and what have you and it just just to, to be able to support the dynamic content. That's and once, that's once I figured out that was what I needed to do, it wasn't really difficult. It's just a lot of a lot of duplication and a lot of steps there. Wow. It's so funny. I'm like the classic client in this case. I'm like, I know. Here's an easy solution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just copy yeah, it I ended up spending like, I think three or four hours on it, and it should have been just a simple drop-in script. Yeah, I mean, it does, now that you mention it, it does make sense that JavaScript shouldn't be able to mess around with your clipboard. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, well, and this explains why it doesn't work on iOS. Yeah, yeah, because there's Flash support. Right, so that's that's kind of a, it's kind of a deal breaker. Yeah, in fact, well, yeah, because iOS is probably one of the places where you need it to copy the most. Mm -hmm. You can't just can't just go in and highlight something with your mouse. Yeah, so just to give the listener uh, a little bit of background, what we wanted to do was be able to, you know, you, once you've created this list of items, you that you are probably considering buying, you want to probably not buy them on the phone, or at least that's the case with me. I almost never want to buy them on the phone. I just do search, search, search real quick, collect some stuff, see what's available, and say, okay. I've usually got two or three different variations that I'm considering, but then when I see them all together on a list, I can. it's easier for me to decide which one is actually the good one or maybe send them to you to say which one of these do you like the best. So first we were like, ah, we'll just have put an email link there. And... And, you know, tap the email and set the body to the list, the contents of the list. And that's actually really easy. But on iOS, you have to have a mail to address specified. And since we don't know the email address of the person who's using the app, because there are no logins or anything, there's almost, there's pretty much no server-side persistence at all. We're starting to put that in, but, but really the app doesn't do anything on the server. It's all delivered to the client and works there, talks to the API from there. So it was like, originally we were like, okay, we'll email it, but that didn't work. 
um, unless we could get the email address of the person or if we put in a dummy email address that they'd have to replace and it all, everything felt wonky so then the clipboard was supposed to be the simple solution to that <laughs> yeah i don't think there's going to be any way to support it because that that flash object seems to be a necessity yeah so the the thing i've been doing is i'll take a screenshot of the list and email the screenshot yeah <laughs> and that that wor actually works fine except for um if the list is too long, which is often the case with me because I have so many things in there. Uh, but what what if what if we did what if t t you know if the button said you know copy these domain names and you tapped on it and you created like a full screen text area with you know with the inner HTML set to the list and then they could copy it manually. Yeah, and just just have it. Have it copy to clipboard for everything else, and then for the iOS device, come up and do that. Right, so that at least the because you can't there's you. I don't think you can actually copy them the normal way in the list format the way we have it. Yeah, because I don't think there's any way to highlight them. Right, so you might be able to highlight individual items, but I feel like you couldn't do the whole list. Yeah, it's because we're capturing the touch events. There's probably it's sort of a conflict there because we we. I have that shut off because it's more of an app than like a content uh, website. Mm -hmm. So selection is turned off so that when you're driving the interface, it's not like accidentally selecting things, selecting right. text when we were trying to tap on a button, which I think is a reasonable, uh, a reasonable thing. To, that's the way you would typically set it up a web app. And yeah. But in this case, like, how do I get the damn stuff out of there without creating like, user accounts? And... Yeah, how do, we, how do we get it into the freaking clipboard? <laughs> right. So, hmm. yeah, maybe on iOS it just, like, goes into a text area so that you can at least select it. Yeah, we may have to, have to play around with it. Hmm. So, wow, that's a classic case. Classic case of how hard could it be? <laughs> yeah, I wish I, I wish you had told me beforehand that you wanted this for iOS devices. <laughs> I could have been like, no, you have to have Flash, because I knew the Flash was necessary. I just didn't think it would be so so finicky to to implement. Yeah, that's I, I would. I mean, it's a learning experience. That's like that's what's fun about Niche is that you yeah you know. So now when a client actually says, oh, let's just let's just put a copy to clipboard button on there, we can be like, yeah, not if you want it to work on iOS. Yep. So interesting. Well, maybe if somebody, uh, maybe if, if someone hears this and knows a better answer, then put it in the comments, please. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I did on Avalio this week was I added the, we, I kind of mentioned it last week, and then I just, I just went ahead and did it on you, was the, uh, the URL shortener for the yeah. registration links. Yeah, I saw that, and I like it. So the concept being that the, the, when someone wants to, when someone finds a domain name that is available, we give them links to various registrars that will allow them to, um, you know, go straight to the registrar of their choice uh, within, you know, a limited choice, but but a choice nonetheless. And uh, I think all of them have a syntax that we kind of hijacked that will kind of URL you directly to a search for the one, you know, on the site of the one that they just look for in Avalio. So like, however is my favorite, that's where all my domain names are, that, uh, except for like .io and .ly, but 
most of my domain names are with Hover, and when I find something in Avalio, I just tap on this link, go straight to Hover, the search is pre-done, I just have to add it to cart and go through that whole process. But those links are really long. Uh, in almost every case, they're super ugly. And I, th I think the URL shortener, the genesis of that was that we wanted to be able, it wanted for it to work over SMS in particular, and uh, IM as well. So it takes the long links, shortens them, and and delivers those to uh, to the user, which is I suppose cool for us because then the referrer for all of the, the links to these uh, domain registrars is from Avalio. So maybe someday we'll become an affiliate or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't I haven't changed it on the on the Avalio site yet. To the Avalio site still uses the long URLs, but I've been tempted to just go in and change it just for consistency. Yeah, that would make sense. I think just for tracking purposes, I think it would be good to know. Yeah, I'm not not doing any kind of click tracking at the moment, but it's something we could easily add in. Right. I mean, I'll go through the logs if we looked at the logs. Right. Not that we'd ever <laughs> probably never get around to that, but <laughs> since there's no user accounts for the app, it's just totally anonymous. It would at least be interesting to know how much traffic there was and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so... So setting this up was actually my my first first ever attempt at using Redis. Yeah, I'm totally excited to hear about this. I've been dying. I've been trying not to ask you uh, <laughs> until we got on the podcast. So yeah, it was. I liked it. Like it a lot. Yeah, I've never it's used good. it. So if I mean, if you you could not dumb it down enough for me, like to describe like what you had to do and. Uh yeah, I could because it's there wasn't wasn't a lot involved. Um, just downloaded the Redis source and, and compiled it on the server and then went into the config file and changed one flag that says, yes, demonize this and then just started up as a service. Really? And yeah, that was, that was it. I mean, it took maybe five minutes to, to get it installed and running. Holy mackerel. And then, then there's a, a Redis Ruby gem that you install it and store your application and then um storing and retrieving data is just very simple as a as a get calling get and set on that on that class you know you initialize the class and it's just it's it's very simple huh and it's it's no sequel though right right so the the it's like key value type thing like local storage um yeah actually it's it's a little more than just a key value store because you can you can store a few different types of data. Um, you can store just a your key and then a string, which you can put your serialized JSON data in there, or just a text string, or what have you. And or you can also you can store a hash table, or you can store an array. So. So it's it, like when you do you mean those terms in the Ruby sense? Yeah. Okay. If you store it store it as a hash table, then you can go in and just modify part of a record or. Mm -hmm. And so how do you like, so the thing that I've, being a SQL guy, I've never, like, the this does appeal to me, the NoSQL stuff appeals to me on many levels. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't, because I'm all about simple, like, 90% of the time, well, maybe not that much, but most of the time, my my personal data persistence needs are extremely simple. And, and a NoSQL solution seems perfect, and a SQL solution, like setting up a SQL server seems like 
atrociously complex for what little thing I'm trying to do. Mm-hmm. And, but it's, it quickly, it seems like, I probably just don't understand how to do it the right way, but it seems like very quickly you hit this wall with a real project, like a real client project where you, you need to be able to like search fast or you need to be able to, um, cross-reference one, I know it's not tables, but cross-reference one property of some set of records with another property of some set of records. Like, how, like how do you sort, like, is sorting, like, all of this stuff, it, I'm probably trying to apply concepts that don't apply, but these are still things that you have to do. Like, you, to create an interface, you have to be able to, like, sort records, and you have to be able right. to, you know, potentially page through records, and generate reports and summarize data. So is like, is that all stuff that should still be done with SQL and Redis is for something else? Um, I'm sure there are probably many, many and very different opinions on this because, you know, you get, get kind of zealots and supporters of, of both. But <laughs> yeah. um, I tend to think anytime you, anytime you start having relationships between data models, SQL just, to me is just so, so much, so much better an option. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when a, when a table, when a table is designed well, and when, when your database is architectured well, and your, your SQL servers are configured properly, you know, SQL relational databases can scale. They can scale really well. Yeah. So I, I don't buy into the, don't buy into the you need no SQL for for high performance on really large databases. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, see, I had, I had kind of looked at it as as an either or. You either use no SQL or you use SQL. And the way I'm starting to look at it lately is, uh, is you have your have your relational database there, and then maybe also have the the no SQL layer to act you know, as a complement to that for mm-hmm. the things that don't need to be relational. Or for something you do maybe need to pull out and put in memory and do a lot of processing on, um, for instance, the calendar application we were talking about last week that we're going to end up building where we have to do a lot of shared resources. It might be a kind of thing where we want to pull out a record, store it in Redis so it's there in memory, do all of our, our number crunching as far as splitting up dates and what have you, and then put it back into, you know, put the put the final records into into the SQL database. I don't know if that would be the best way of approaching it or not. But uh, so I I think using them in tandem to kind of complement one another is where you're going to see the most benefit. Mm-hmm. It seems like the perfect place to store things like application state on a user basis. Right, like exactly. Session-related stuff. And actually, that kind of, kind of ties in. Did you read the article I sent you uh, that Wyatt had written about Ember.js? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... It, I did read it, and it was it, it was very interesting. It was kind of like uh, he he kind of broke down the um, MVC, but more like in a very specific to Ember JS and how the classes apply to MVC and how the different uh, what did he call them? Uh, not levels, but he, it was like uh, layers relate yeah. to each other and very very specific. So it was kind of it was really cool. It was a great article. Yeah, I, the, one of the things about it that I really liked, you know, turn off my cell phone, I'm getting some interference. 
one of the things about it that I really liked was sort of adding, he added an extra la extra layer of separation there between the user interface and the controller class where you're, you're dealing with the application state. Mm -hmm. And you're saving, you have your data model that has all your data structures and what have you, and you have your controller that acts on it. But then he had also added another layer there that's, that's dealing with just the current state of that data separate from the user interface. Right. And I kind of feel like Redis is is the backend solution for that same sort of separation and that's that same sort of sort of uh, data per, you know persistency of state. Mhm. Mm yeah. So that was it was actually his article that kind of got me thinking about you know I I read it and then it was just a few hours later that I started looking at Redis and it kind of got me to thinking along those lines from the get go is like, you know why can't we use it for for the same type of thing. Right. He, so yeah, there was like a really specific, he was super, super specific about splitting out the, the, well, you know, we'll just link to it. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it would have very specific use cases. And, and as he admits, it's certainly not for everyone, mm. but it was a really interesting article. Yeah. It felt for a very complex application. It, it felt right. It felt like overkill for something smaller. But, mm -hmm. but it, you know, but not, not because it's wrong, but because of more of a pragmatic, um, from a pragmatic standpoint of like, you're separating what would have been one line of jQuery into like two pages of code. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah, I think he was working on a pretty, a pretty hefty project at the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. It makes perfect sense for a huge project that's super complex that reused a lot of widgets and and uh, had multiple developers because it was super super organized and you could there was i guess the i guess the way ember is set up i have no i shouldn't even be talking about this i have absolutely no experience with ember <laughs> but i i think it's came out of sprout core right and, uh, i think so yeah and it it's his thing was that there was dom access mixed into a bunch of different classes and he kind of wanted that in its own place which i totally agree with because it does feel weird every time i have to touch the dom it feels weird i get a creepy feeling when i touch the dom <laughs> <laughs> so it. that's a little disturbing john yeah <laughs> it was a good article it's a good article uh, we should just link to it and yeah people see it for themselves because it's it's too much to really explain. He's got charts and graphs and arrows and lines. Yeah, he drew a, a pretty pretty intricate flowchart there. <laughs> yeah. So good stuff there. Well, I'm excited about Redis. Um, yeah, I am too. It sounds. I always like something simple and powerful. That's it seems to be uh, seems to be the kind of thing that uh, I don't know. Just appeals to me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I had, you know, we had played around with Mongo some, and I'm I'm thinking I like Redis a lot better. It just it feels much more, much more intuitive. Mm -hmm. And the setup was the setup compared to the setup I had to do with Mongo, because we're using Mongo on Node. I have no idea how Redis support in Node.js would be. Right. That's yeah. It, it 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 just it feels nice. That's cool. I, I haven't even looked at the code yet because I was keeping it to be a surprise for myself. But <laughs> there's very little of it. That's my favorite. Yep. Yep. I know the the more lines I can delete, the happier I am. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, what was the other thing? Uh, well, the, the whole reason that it might not be the thing you were thinking of, but it's on my list. So <laughs> the whole reason I started looking at Redis was because I was, I was curious about scaling the, the APIs mm-hmm. to, to large, to like really, really large numbers. Yep. And the, I kept coming back to articles, what have you saying to use, use a message queue service and have your, your API you could relay all your rights to that message queue service and then all your database rights are done asynchronously of, of the of the API right. so you don't run into into the bottleneck there and everything kept coming back to, to using rescue which is has a, is is redis backed gotcha yeah so rescue is the queuing service that um, the guys at github eventually put together right right yeah, so they, I guess they, there's a really good blog post about it uh, where they, they explained all these different, all the different ways that they tried to approach this. There are a bunch of existing libraries and stuff, but it was obviously, I was kind of surprised. I mean, I've never gotten to, I've never come close to having a web application that needed to scale as, as huge as something like GitHub. And, It'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, that'd be it's that would freak me out, but it's <laughs> it's funny because they obviously went through these sort of growing pains. Like at some point, they got to the point where they were like, "We can't write to the database directly. We have to, like, like that's to me that that when if we have something that gets to that level, I'm going to flip because it's like that's uh, in a good way. Yeah, because <laughs> that's like that's like a huge because writing to the database is a big bottleneck, and and. And it was cool, though. It actually, if that day, if and when that day comes, I'll feel better about it because they did not just figure it out in one day. They they went through a bunch of different services, d- different approaches, and and finally wrote their own based on uh, the sort of their favorite features of two of the other ones that they used. So very interesting, and I do think that um, uh, it we have a couple of things where it's potential that we could have that kind of traffic. Uh, So, you know, client work and otherwise. So that was very interesting. Do you, um, how did, uh, that related to SMS somehow though? What? Yeah, we had, we had talked about actually setting it up and using it as a, as a a message queue to just dump, dump the, the SMS and email notifications into so that way the api and the user is not waiting on a response from a mail server or twilio or what have you because that can that can really slow down the responsiveness of the api and so we were this app that we're building a lot of the notifications that we're needing to send it's it's not a direct notification from the user it's the user takes it performs an action and then the API does something in response to that that sends out a notification. It's it's not like they're writing a message to send to each other. Yeah. So the, there's no reason that the user should have to wait for those notifications to be sent. Right. So you know, we had talked about just just kind of kind of shuffling those off into a message queue, and having a having a, a job there that then a worker processed or that went then went through and and handled all of those. Right. Yeah, I think it occurred to me when we were doing, uh, we were talking about making the IM client for Valio a little more interactive, mm-hmm. and it takes time for it to go off and do the 
uh, well, it's pretty fast, but it, it takes a little bit of time to do the actual name lookup. So if you could sort of asynchronously do that in the background and then be responding to the uh, the person who's sitting at the keyboard while something else is going on, it would make for a better experience. So yeah, that was when it, it sort of hit my radar in a in a real way. Like, oh, how how would we do that? Yeah. So it's fun stuff getting into getting into some new territory a little bit for us, and it's it's gonna be fun, I think interesting to figure it, all, figure it all out and i'm interested in trying out some some of the new aws services we were looking at yesterday like their, their simple email service yeah and i noticed they also have a, a message queue system too and i don't know how it would compare but for now i kind of feel like that's something we should keep on the ec2 instance but it was it was interesting to me that they do they actually offer the message queue as a service mm, it does and, and when i when i say message queue i'm not talking about messages that you would send send to people i mean that happens to be in this instance what we're using it for notifications but it's kind of just a uh as far as I'm talking messages as far as information and, and data for other applications and other worker threads and what have you right. so right in in the messages message queue in a, in a in a programming sense right like messages between objects right yeah i mean you can see why you need it um we've certainly had we've had applications where um, where MySQL was slow f because of our own fault, but uh, when the database does get slow, whatever the reason, it's a it's a major problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, everyone, you know, the phone rings when the database gets slow. So, you know, being able to uh, hand them off to a message queue is great. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, just from a theoretical standpoint, it's obviously something that you want to use you want to use the right tool for the job because, you know, like I don't even want to think about, you wouldn't want to think about using that in a transactional environment where you need to like roll something back. If it fails, like that could be such a nightmare. You know, I can't even imagine, I can't imagine there's support for transactions with a system like that. It's kind of like if you need transactions, you don't use a system like that. Does there have, did you come across any sort of documentation about, you know, what happens when something fails? Um, I think you would pretty much have to have to roll your own error handling there on that, you know, specific to your application. Yeah. So yeah, it would. It's it seems like in a transactional sort of setup like that, you would uh, you'd probably be creating a lot more work for yourself. I feel like. Yeah, it seems like that to me too. It's like it'd be. It'd be approaching the the problem from the wrong, using the wrong tool for the job again. Yeah, yeah. I think instead you would probably, you know, maybe add more memory and and spin up a couple more instances of your database. Yes, and this is the point where one of us says shard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did you ever see that little that video? It was like a two anime cartoon characters uh, having a debate about SQL versus no SQL. Oh, I feel like I have, yeah. It's a scream. Yeah. It is so funny. Well, I'll post that too. It's hilarious. I could watch it every day and follow. Are they like right the little now. computer animated? Yeah. People. Yeah, it's so funny. It's so funny. But anyway, so it, it be interesting. We haven't talked about Rabble in a long, long time, but uh, no, we it, haven't. It seems like that I'd might be thinking be a, about Rabble, though. Yeah, me too. 
it seems like this might be a good fit. So Rabble is a, uh, it's to the end user, it's basically a little snippet of JavaScript that you insert into your uh, web pages on your site, and it automatically creates like a real-time chat room for anybody who's viewing that page. So you can, your audience can kind of engage with each other uh, in what must be a shared interest because they're on your page. So I always found it weird that like hundreds or thousands of people would be looking at um, you know, a given web page, but there's no way for them to get in touch with each other. It seems weird. It should be, I always thought it should be like, uh, you know, uh, it would be interesting to have it be like a chat room. Sure, there's comments on blogs and stuff, but that's totally not real time. Um, so I, I would sort of be interesting to have a little chat room. So as an experiment a while ago, it was probably a year ago, um, we put... One of the first things I did for you. Yeah. Start on the level. Yeah, and there was it was definitely set up so that we would use a bunch of stuff that neither one of us had used, like Node and uh, what else is there? Was a couple? Oh, Mongo, right? Yeah, we ended up ditching Mongo for MySQL, but we did mm. use Mongo for a long time. Yeah, that was. I think I remember having a real pain in the butt trying to get it from the 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 development server to the production server. It was like, it, I can't remember what it was, but it it was easier to just say, you know what, we've learned enough about <laughs> Mongo. <laughs> yeah, and the data we were using at that point, we'd added enough to it where it it was approaching some pretty relational data. So yeah. it, it made more sense architecturally to use SQL at that point too. Right, because we had started off where it was just kind of it started off where it was just sort of anonymous, where you would you'd be assigned a username when you open the chat window, and you know it wasn't it wasn't about logging in or anything like that. Um, and the and the database storage of the chat logs was best effort because the most important thing was that the conversation was not interrupted uh, so so that was the first thing that got dealt with and then anything that we could save to the database we would and if something something fell through the cracks that was no big deal so that was uh so and that again so that i don't know like you said what node support is i uh, sorry uh redis for, runs on node but uh based on how the cool kids talk about both those things i'll bet you it does i'll bet you it does yes <laughs> So that might be an interesting, uh, might be an interesting thing to load in. We got to get back to Ravel. That's that's a cool idea. That just sort of, it's kind of it's pretty well baked. I feel like, uh, I feel like there's yeah. some stuff to do to it still, but it works. Yeah, and it works. The server has been up and stable for a long time. I've got it on. I've got it on one of my sites. I use it a little bit. Oh really? Cool. Yeah, yeah I've got a. I'm, mostly, it just sits there and doesn't get used. But it's been, you know. <laughs> accessed several times a day and nothing has crashed yet nice. but uh, yeah i have a I have a private forum that i run for some friends and i i stuck it on there for testing and i just kind of left it nice and it's all been working great for months now so my main thing that the reason i haven't used it is because the it's not mobile friendly mm -hmm. that's the only yeah thing that I, I really kind of want to revisit the interface yeah and the the jquery plugin part of it for the client side yeah there, we need to come up with a good solution for that before I can really get behind it. But it's but on desktop sites, it's it's pretty sweet. <laughs> so you can check that out if you if you do want to add chat to your uh, to your website in about three seconds. And it's yeah, there's other solutions out there that but they're mostly for your visitors to chat with you or like customer service or something like that. 
This is the only one I, I've seen where it allows the group to kind of talk with each other. Yeah, and it's it's all open source now too, isn't it? Didn't we open source the server as well? Uh, I believe so. If we yeah. didn't, we should. I think we did. Even even if not, the the client is all open source, so you can, you know, change it, redo it, restyle it, change the way it works, write your own. Yep. Whatever. Yeah, we created. It was funny. That was the first time we. It was the first time I wrote it. Uh, well, you wrote it, but. Um, was involved with a client-side API. Well, I guess it's not true. I've written a couple of JavaScript widgets that did that, but the the concept is that there are, if I remember correctly, there are certain calls that you you like include a script tag, the Ravel client script tag, and then you can write your own, and and you can either just use the default client. Or you can use the default client with your own styles, or you can write your own client to talk to the JavaScript that you'd included in your page. And so it's, it really is an API. I mean, there's like things that you can call, but it just feels weird because I always, when I say API, because I always like think of a server API. It's like, it's like a functional, you know, you, you call, there's certain functions that you call to send and, and listen for messages and update the user interface and. It's pretty. It's not a. It's pretty straightforward though, and you don't. And you don't have to write your own. So. Yeah, the the client code is pretty simple. Mm-hmm. It uh, uses uses socket I/O to kind of handle the sending of messages back and forth, and then you just you just tie into that object, and we've got a, a few helper functions and listener functions set up for for dealing with different types of messages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fun. We should we should get that. I should. Uh, we should really get that mobile version of that because I would love to be able to push that out. Yeah. So, what else do you have on the list? We did a lot of crazy, a lot of stuff last week. Mm, let me check my list here. Uh, that pretty much is my list. I know there were some there were some new features we talked about that we want or. We're thinking about adding to Valio, but I know, you know I don't know if there's anything there to really talk about yet. Right. I have a couple of other things. The uh, um, I updated the the uh, CSS for the niche site because I was um, I, the niche site is very it's like big text, single column, big text, super super simple site, and uh, it's kind of like my um, test bed for like little responsive web design techniques. And one of the things that had been bothering me a lot was that on smaller screens, the text would wrap in a really ugly way. Uh, And we've got like a couple of bullet lists, a fairly long bullet list in the list of like podcast episodes and stuff. And it was just, you know, it was wrapping funny. There was like unused padding and margin on the left-hand side. So I was like, "Ah, obviously, um, all of a sudden, I realized that I didn't didn't follow my own advice to the extreme, which is is mobile first. You know, start with the mobile version first. I I I started with the mobile version in mind when I developed it, but I didn't develop the initial site at like a three hundred pixel width. So so I made I knew I just sort of mentally knew as I designed it that it would scale down fine, so I didn't have to worry about that. You know, so but I should have because it's uh, it's much better now. So what I did was changed the, in my opinion, I changed the uh, 
I like opened up the page. I scrunched the window down to 300 pixels or about that, you know, 200, 300 pixels, very extremely narrow. And I went and took all of the font sizing out of the CSS completely. And then I went back through and on each, uh, at each sort of, uh, how do I, I, I set up all the sizes relative to each other. So instead of using pixels anywhere, uh, I didn't even use M's. I just set uh, percentages. So I so everything's, and the percentages inherit from the parent container. So what's cool about that is that they stay relative to each other if you just change like the font size percentage on the body. So I set up the base style sheet with no media queries to, I think I, I put the, uh, the body font size at 80% and then I put all the other percentages relative to each other so that it made sense like the headings were bigger than the paragraphs. And, uh, and then I added media queries for like every 100 pixels or so, I would bump up the, the percentage of um, the body font size. So as you scroll the window down, the text will, I mean, it still wraps uh, in, at points, but uh, in general, the text gets smaller, but smaller to an appropriate size for the use case. So whereas on the iPhone the, or, you know, a mobile phone, the text was really big. I mean, the text was the same size as it was on the desktop site. And since the desktop site's like farther away from you, you know, it's like arm's length instead of a foot or two. Well, for you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, good point. Uh, the 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 text getting a little bit smaller, not a lot, yeah. but just a little bit smaller. It makes it, I think, easier to read because the bullets aren't wrapping in that sort of. Yeah, I, I think so too. You get a, get a get a more respectable line length, or when your line length gets too short, it's just oh, it's 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 as hard to read as as if it were you know too long. <laughs> yeah, it's just. It was kind of messy, and so and it was just. I just had to laugh because I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really do mobile first as much as I could have because I set the fonts. I did all the basically all the typography was for a desktop. Right. right. So. Yeah, I've I've recently started switching to percentages on fonts too. I don't do it all the time. Sometimes I still end up using EMS, mm -hmm. but I have started in a lot of places going to percentages in the fonts. It just it does seem to work much better. It's so much more resilient, you know. the The one place I had a problem with it was in the actual uh, H1 tag in the header that says niche because I I uh, altered the letter spacing so that they were a little bit closer together than normal, mm -hmm. and that I had to use pixels. I was I think I ended up using pixels on that. I couldn't get it. Uh, it was really not easy to do with. Um, with uh, M's or any other, any other unit, I don't know if maybe letter spacing doesn't support other units, but like, it it wasn't working right. And yeah, I've I've used it with M's before, but I end up using like, some ridiculously oh letter spacing point oh, oh, oh. point one zero three. You know, it just gets it's it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean the M's always get they get pretty you know screwy. But, uh, you know, in terms of the math, there's a lot of math. But it, it just, it, it wasn't working. Like, it was it was doing something weird. Like, the letters were getting inverted. So, I just said, forget about it. Going with the, uh, going with the pixels. And so, then I just changed the pixels at each breakpoint 
I changed the pixels so that it's it's roughly um, spaced roughly the same. Right. I think that's that's probably the best solution there um, to use the pixels and and then just adjust as needed with the media queries. Sometimes sometimes you're just gonna have to do things like that. You're not gonna be able to, which is the whole the whole point of having the media queries in the first place. So right. it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's. Uh, I mean, if if obviously people can just view source, it's a really short style sheet, and obviously again, it's incredibly simple site. But I think the the if you approach the the design from in in every way from the smallest screen first, uh, because some you know lower end devices don't respect media queries. So if if you um, don't <laughs> vacuum cleaner can you hear that yeah is that what that is yes it's like unbelievable it's a, you, have sque- you have a squeaky vacuum cleaner it's, it's, squeaky mules. yeah it's a squeaky vacuum I'll probably end up chopping this <laughs> chopping that out <laughs> and in any second it's going to start banging against the door <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i i don't know if i've ever told you this or not but i have a I have a an irrational fear of vacuum cleaners. It's not as bad now as it used to be. <laughs> you know, you never mentioned that. No, I, I have a, I have a, a vacuum cleaner. Real Richard likes to refer it as I have suckophobia. <laughs> well, it does sound pretty scary. Yeah, yeah. It's a, I'm just a little kid, and we had this vacuum cleaner. It was huge and red, and it had a light on it, and it used you know it was loud and it was, yeah. So I. I don't know, I'm just, I, vacuum cleaners just make me very uneasy. Yeah, well, Cooper's the same way. He can't stand huh. it. Yeah, so so are, so are my, so is my cat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take this opportunity to eat some of my oatmeal. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's off. I'm starting to get woke up now. Oh, good. The fear of the vacuum cleaners, like, sends some adrenaline <laughs> through you. Yeah, that's all. Flight or fight response. Yeah. Now I, I I skipped the coffee and, and went straight to the chocolate covered espresso beans. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. Oh, Super man. concentrated. Yeah. So one of the things I did want to talk about was my reaction to the uh, the ch- in Avalio to SMS and IM being available. I guess it was last week, right? You set up SMS and... Yeah, because we talked about it on last week's show. Yeah, it was last Tuesday. Yeah, so SMS... I, I have not used the web client once since you set that up. Yeah, I haven't either. There's something There's something about the launch impulse that makes me go straight to the SMS app on my phone. It's bizarre. It's like... A, it's, le, it's less fully featured or has fewer features all it can do is search for one uh domain at a time doesn't search for a bunch of them you can't save them uh all you know like the things that it does you can't see what your search history was um well i mean you could scroll back and in fact that works so it's it's almost like i've got this ongoing dialogue with a person named avalio in my sms app yeah i noticed that too it was it's it's when I was just testing it, it's it's like going back and reading a chat log. Right. Yeah. I like it a lot better. <laughs> I do too. It's so, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, and, and even, and then on the desktop, 
it's I am for sure. I mean, like I'm not going to open mm -hmm. the browser. It's weird. I, it's hard to explain, but that's why I keep coming back to that launch impulse. Like my impulse is to go straight to an app that I use all the time. So if I've got a if I've got a problem that can be solved in an app in multiple apps, I'm going to go to the app that I use the most even if it's not the most fully featured one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I know how to use it's my go-to tool and it can solve this problem that I have. So I'm just going to use it. Yeah, I feel like you and I you and I are both big big advocates and fans of the command line. Yeah. And I feel like that may kind of play into it as well because searching for a domain over IM it feels more like sitting down at a command line and doing something as opposed to to interacting with a, a graphical user face in the browser. Right. It it has but there's there's something else going on too. And this is going to sound psychotic but having the having Avalio in my buddy list gives me like an emotional response <laughs> isn't that weird it's like it's really interesting i it feels friendlier than the web one yeah it's really it's psychotic but it's uh but from a from a developer standpoint or from like a um you know from an entrepreneurial standpoint that's incredibly powerful if if it's not just me you know, if if it's like, I mean, there's a huge barriers to entry in terms of getting getting you know the discovery of um, that it can work like that, and you know yada yada yada. But I feel like once your once your app is in somebody's buddy list or in somebody's contact list in their in their phone, that's like as valuable as what every you know the mobile web people are just like everybody's like scrambling to figure out how to best convince users to bookmark a web page to their home screen mm -hmm. to me this is way more powerful it's way more powerful to be in someone's contact book uh, contact list either the buddy yeah. list and i am or their their sms list because the home screen is i don't know it's just constantly in flux it's changing around there's a bunch of them there's not a good way to navigate it on any of the phones um, it's very browsy, um, mm -hmm. but I don't know. There, there's a there's a more personal connection when you make it into somebody's address book. I mean, a home screen is a it's a screen full of icons for applications you use. Your your contact list is you know friends and family and things you care about. Right. Yeah. So it's 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 totally noticeable when I I feel an affinity for the app when I, I'm using it over IM or SMS. Like it's someone that's helping me, not something that I'm using. Right. And I think if we work on some of the language for the, the IM and maybe maybe the SMS too, I don't know. We, we need to keep the SMS short. But right. I feel like if we work on some of the, the IM interactions, we can also kind of kind of kind of go a little a little even a little bit further with that. Yeah, like it, you could you could really make it into a real bot, you know, mm -hmm. and, and have it do all sorts of things for you because I am the problem with SMS is not free. I've already gone over my, my like allotted <laughs> SMSs for the month. Yeah. You're, you're paying on both ends because you're, you're footing yeah. the bill on Twilio right now too. Right. As a user, I'm paying AT&T for the SMS plus I'm paying for the API to send the SMSs back and forth. So AT&T is getting like, like a nickel from me every time I search for a domain name. <laughs> so anyway, that the, the the psychology of it is really interesting to me and yeah. that's something I want to explore and definitely adding 
um, more interactive style features to the IM client, I think, is is an obvious win. Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be it'll be fun to do. I think it'll make it a lot more. You know, you can make searching for a domain name be fun. <laughs> right, right. Almost. There's probably a way to turn it into a game in a way that's actually not cheesy. <laughs> so I, I'm really looking forward to that. There's a couple of a couple of things uh, that we've got on the radar for internal projects that I'm super excited about. I feel like mm. I feel like they're they're a little bit unique, uh, a little bit. I don't want to say cutting edge because some of the like some of the SMS and IM stuff's been done before, but it, it's. I don't see those things around anymore. Like Twitter has a very mature uh, SMS user interaction. Like you can create a Twitter account over SMS. You can follow people over SMS. You can, you can do everything pretty much. Not Well, no, you can't do everything. But you can do a lot of things over SMS with Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I definitely want to get to that point. Like I want to get to the point where our, the ones that make sense, APIs that make sense, are, have basically a, a usable, fun interface over uh, whatever clients make sense. And I think SMS is going to be a real popular one. And I think I am as well. Do you, do you have a sense of how popular I am is? I mean, I have a jillion people in my list here, which I suppose is mostly from Gtalk. Yeah, uh, I feel like, I feel like Gtalk has probably become the most popular one. I don't know that it's as, it's, as prolific or as popular now as it was uh, a few years ago, but I, I still feel like a lot of people use it. Um, I think maybe, maybe, and this is also done over XMPP, so it's certainly a possibility, maybe tying into like Facebook chat. Right. Yeah, we'd I, have to I have... feel like a lot of people have maybe, maybe abandoned you know, Yahoo Messenger or MSN Messenger or something like that. In, in favor of Facebook. Yeah, I, it seems like, yeah, you, you were, when you were just saying that uh, Gtalk seemed really popular and until maybe a few years ago, like, yeah, right when Facebook Messenger came out. Yeah. Um, but Yeah, I feel like, feel like Skype is probably another, another avenue. Skype actually has a really large user base, and I don't know about you, but I know I use, I use Skype probably almost as much as I use I am. It's actually, I make a, for me, the difference between who I talk to on Skype and who I talk to on I am, there's a, there's a very distinct, a very distinct difference mm, there in how I, I define it. It's, it's, it's from a social, from a social aspect, it's, it's probably, I don't know if, if I'm not unique in it, it's probably pretty interesting. But <laughs> yeah. To, but um, I, I use Skype a lot as well. Yeah, my Skype usage versus my IM usage is radically different. I almost never use Skype at all, except for uh, when I have to do group phone calls. Yeah, I I use I use Skype chat, like the voice the voice chat and and text chat both. It tends to be Skype tends to be like I guess my. I would say my closest friends, mm -hmm. I probably tend to talk to more on Skype than I do I am, be it, be it text or, or voice. And I think part of it is the chat history is a little, a little easier to navigate through. And it's a, you know, 
the interface is a little, you know, it's it's bigger, it feels less cramped and crowded. I don't know, it just it kind of feels like a more relaxing sort of environment. Mm. And then if we want to, we can always just, you know, click a button and just start talking. But right. I'm, I'm rambling on a giant, huge tangent here that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> but to me, there's a there's a pretty distinct difference in when I use Skype and when I use IM. Yeah, no, I find it interesting. And that's that's kind of what I'm, I think I'm getting at with uh, the difference between the web experience of the exact same application versus the mm -hmm. SMS versus the IM and potentially versus the Skype. And I think the the bummer with Skype is it seems like uh, it's it's uh, it's obviously proprietary, but I think there's some licensing that you have to contend with. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of licensing restrictions. I saw a, an article not too long ago. I think I even sent it to you sometime last week about uh, sending messages over with Ruby, sending messages over Skype with Ruby. But there was the, the some of the software that you have to compile and what have you had quite a bit of, of licensing restrictions. Mm. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Maybe you guys, maybe the gang at Twilio will figure it out and we, they'll just add in a Skype messaging. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I, I like writing apps that run everywhere, you know, that, that reach the widest possible audience in, I'd rather be in the tools they're already in than try and give them a new tool. Uh, in virtually, virtually every kind of application that I'm interested in building is, is that way where it was it's a utility that can morph into different uh into different environments as opposed to like photoshop the idea of creating something like photoshop or you know like a big monolithic um you know does like, one thing yeah well yeah, yeah it's like uh it's like one of those huge uh swiss army knives it does like it's like a single purpose thing but it does a million things yeah. And it would never fit inside. I mean, you, you know, it doesn't make sense to even the concept of Photoshop over SMS. I mean, it, it doesn't even make sense. So you can imagine if you, I'm photo editing over SMS. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's I, my, I, my layer styles. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I, I just... I, I'm totally intrigued by this. So I think your 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 feeling about Skype and probably about people's people's feelings about Facebook Messenger and Skype and and IM and SMS and the web and how they use all these different things. Obviously, those are all very popular tools, uh, and people probably it makes sense that people would feel differently about different ones or reach for them at different times in different situations. That all makes sense. Uh, but the, it's totally intriguing to me to have an application that can exist in any of those and inherit some of the feeling of the outer application. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, it's really interesting to see. And and then there, too, does that affect, like, does that create some kind of emotional connection with the application when you end up using it in some other medium? Right. Yeah. Do you, if you're, if you're stuck using one particular client over the other and does your experience with one kind of, you know, inherit that instinct to just go and use the service in the other environment. Right. It, not for me, but it'd be interesting to see. Yeah. 
for me, I just I completely don't use the web interface anymore. It's right on my home <laughs> screen. It's on the very first page of my main home screen. And every single time I would go to search for something, which is at least once a day, I open the SMS app. Oh, only once a day? <laughs> I thought we were going to have to like, plan some kind of intervention or or something for you there for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, fortunately, we don't have the. Uh, fortunately, we can't buy them yet through Avalio because then I'd be dead in the water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was. I'm doing better. I, I mean, honestly, I'm doing better than I was like a year or two ago. I had well over a hundred, and yeah. I'm still. And, and I went on a big purge. Didn't regret it. And I've got. Uh, I went on a purge. I did regret one or two that I bought back, <laughs> and then uh, I, I'm pretty sure I'm still under a hundred. So I'm better than I was a year ago. Yeah. Oh man! At least I'm using more of them now. Before it was yeah. just like they're just sitting there, but now we actually have uh, some actual usage. To build fun things. Yeah. So I guess that'll do it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. I'm Kelly Shaver. And we'll see you again next week for the Niche Podcast.